We're looking to marry a candidate, not date them. I tell interviewers, don't hold back on the tough questions. If there's a gap in someone's resume, if something does not jive, ask about it. The time to ask about it is not after you've hired someone. Today's discussion is around what great hiring managers do when hiring. And that is a quote from Regional Vice President of Human Resources, Jack Patterson from Hub International. And that's who I'm speaking with today. It is about evaluating job fit and about leadership. And I can't wait to share it with you. Hit it, Michael. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Hi, my name is Susie Price, and I'm with Priceless Professional Development, where for 15 years we have been helping senior leaders build a committed, energetic, drama-free, wake-up, eager workforce. And that, wake-up, eager workforce, is the name of this podcast. Our episode today is about how to evaluate job fit, what great hiring managers do, and it is our 50th episode. And the cool thing is, is this 50th episode was recorded on my birthday, October the 23rd, 2018, with one of my favorite clients. So how cool is that? <laughs> 50 episodes. Woo! Yay! Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. Who knew when I had this little idea and started just taking steps towards it when I did that first episode that it would make it to 50th episode. Most podcasts don't make it past the seventh episode, apparently, and that I would have so much fun doing this. And I'm so glad that I know, and I want to share this with you, that when I am compelled towards something, when something really interests me, I don't often question it. Of course, I want to use practical logic and make good business decisions, but I do understand when I'm compelled to do something that I I am going to follow it until I'm no longer compelled to do it. And this is one of those things. And my belief is, is when we feel pulled towards something, when something makes us very happy, when we feel very interested and we don't want to stop doing whatever that thing is, it could be something that makes sense, you know, that it's like, if I get this degree, it'll get me there. Or it could be something you don't know where it's really heading, but you really like doing it. Follow that. I talk about that a lot in the talks about motivation and inspiration and, and getting more energy at work and feeling more committed and energized. Follow the things that interest you inside of work and outside of work and see where they go. I mean, there's been so many great things that have happened as a result of this podcast. One, I have enjoyed it. I do it on the weekends often. I've met so many interesting people. I have had so much fun sharing knowledge and insight. It's a great tool that I can share with clients and with prospects and get to know new people. And I didn't know all that was going to become of this. I actually was asked to speak at a convention or conference with my peers about podcasting. So who knew? <laughs> but pay attention for yourself. If you're compelled to do something, it is some insight into some of your strengths, some of your talents, your genius. It's insights into how you activate your greatness. And it's not always a straight line. If I do this, I get that. But what is always true is if I'm very interested and I feel just 
compelled is the word I can say, feel happy about the creation of something or the doing of something there. It is a match to you and some of your greatness and your genius. And I just want to thank on this 50th episode, Shauna Adenolfi, who is our client services manager, who helps me with the show notes. And she does a great job. Tim at the podcasting group, who does the audio editing of the podcast and is always consistent and helpful and does a great job there and all the people who've taken time to be interviewed on this podcast. So more to come. I can't wait to see the 100th episode, where I'll be and what'll be happening. So this is a series that we're doing right now on the Wake Up Eager Habits. So Wake Up Eager Leader Habits is what we're focusing on, and we're focusing on the fourth habit. Quick run-through of the five habits. They spell out the word eager, E-A-G-E-R, and we've done episodes on each one of the habits. And if you go to the directory at wakeupeagerworkforce.com, wakeupeagerworkforce.com, all one word, you'll see these episodes. And so we did the E in the word eager, the first habit, which is enter the zone. There's two episodes there. The A, activate greatness. G, grow trust. Today's episode, E, evaluate job fit. And the last of the five habits for the Wake Up Eager Leader is R, recalibrate daily. So this habit is about getting the right people in the right seats. It's the conversation today about evaluating job fit, which is a focus on matching jobs to the right people, ensuring you have the right people in the right seats. This habit is important. It helps you lower risk when hiring and promoting. It helps improve job performance and satisfaction. It helps reveal your own and other specific strengths, and it helps reduce unwanted turnover. If you want to have a wake up eager team dynamic and you want to be a wake up eager leader, you need to be walking into every day as much as humanly possible, a team of people who are a good fit for the roles that they're in. Such a difference. Haven't you ever had someone who wasn't a fit and you finally went through the steps as painful as they are. So it can be a loving thing too. let them go. Got somebody else in the role that is a much better fit and the difference that you feel about the performance. So Evaluate Job Fit is all about being a great hiring manager, being a great interviewer, matching people to the jobs, and doing a good job of that. And I've done a lot of work around that. I have a book, How to Hire Superior Performers, that walks through the process that we recommend. I also have related podcasts that I'll link to in this podcast and in the show notes. And I do a class, Dodge the Duds, Pick the Winners, and it's a It's a hiring workshop and it is also a talk. So I am passionate about this subject because so often when people say, you know, come in, Susie, and get everybody motivated. We want everybody to wake up eager. Oftentimes the people who are not waking up eager are people who are not a good fit for the role. And there are things that you can specifically do to make sure they're a good fit. So Jack shares that in this interview today, and I am so glad he took the time and so cool that he's the 50th episode for the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast. The show notes for today are found at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash evaluate job fit, all one word, lowercase, pricelessprofessional.com evaluate job fit. Here's a couple of things that we're going to talk about in this episode with Jack today. We're going to talk about three things hiring managers should do to make sure they have the right person. You're going to talk about what he does at Hub. 
Uh, he's going to talk about how he handles mergers and acquisitions, which Hub International does a lot of buying up of other businesses. So it'll be interesting because many of you work on mergers and acquisitions, but what he shares is applicable to onboarding in general, how to, how to onboard new team members in a smart way. And then we also talk about his life as a leader, his challenges, his rewards, and you get insights around how to be an influential human resource leader. Quick review of his background. He's the regional vice president of human resources for Hub International. And if you don't know about Hub, it's a leading insurance brokerage firm. They have about 11,000 employees and $2.2 billion in revenue. Jack oversees all HR programs and operations for 10 of Hub's 26 geographic regions, uh, which the area that he covers covers more than 20 states and about 2,300 employees. And he focuses on all areas that we talk about here at the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast, or at least he does more than what we talk about, but talent management, employee relations, performance management, recognition programs, compensation, leadership consulting, development. And he also does a lot of what we talk about today when we talk about the mergers and acquisitions is uh, ensuring smooth due diligence around onboarding and integration. And so I think that that's all powerful. A little bit about his education. He's got a BBA degree in management from Texas A&M. And his MBA is from Southern Methodist University. He has certification. So he is a true human resource executive and professional. He has through SHRM, the SCP, SPHR, and GPHR. And those are powerful credentials from SHRM. This shows you his level of focus on being an expert in an influencer in human resources. He and his wife, Suzanne, live in Denver, and they have two 11-year-old boys, uh, he loves, oh, and they're Jacob and Luke. I want to say their names. He enjoys the outdoors. He loves, he's a big hunter and he loves going to the movies with his family. So he's a great guy, great interview. There are insights in here that I, I believe will be helpful to you. Let's get to it. Hi, Jack. Great to have you here. Hey, Susie. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we're going to jump right into our topic about hiring and evaluating job fit. Uh, you and your work at Hub oversee four to 500 new hires a year, which is amazing. And from all of your experience and from all of the things you see in your regions and the work you do and your expertise, what are the three things hiring managers should do to make sure they have the right person in the job when interviewing? What are the things yeah, so they need this, to focus on most? This is a loaded question. So I'm glad you, you gave me three things. And so I can kind of <laughs> focus on those. I'd say number one is is really not scientific, but it's asked the tough questions. Um, I tell everybody uh, that we're hiring, we're looking to marry you, not date you. And so what that means is we need to know that, you know, if, if something is going to affect your job, we need to know if, you know, when you're marrying somebody, they wake up with bad breath sometimes. And we need to know that. And we need to know what's the equivalent of bad breath in the workforce. And so, I, I tell everyone, uh, don't don't hold back on the tough questions. I mean, they need to be legal, of course, but feel yeah. free. If, if there's a gap on someone's resume, let's ask about it. If there's something that doesn't jive, let's ask about it because the time to ask about it is not after you've hired somebody. Number two is, while tech skills are important, cultural fit trumps every every single time. That's one of the reasons that we, we use the Trimetrics uh, tool. When, when, when someone When someone leaves, our organization, coworkers usually don't say, guess what? We need someone who can process insurance certificates. <laughs> while, while that's nice, it's usually, 
we need someone who will be a great team member, you know, someone who's reliable, someone who has the aptitude and desire to take on more. So while, while tech skills are important, um, it's not the overriding factor. Cultural fit for us is the number one factor. And then number three, we like to involve the team in every step of the process. So some people or some organizations will bring in the team, you know, just to come in and say hi or what have you. I don't think that's effective. Um, for us, it starts at the very beginning. So as soon as we know we're going to have a, a need, when we're crafting that job description, we like to get people involved because um, there may be an old job description which has information in there that's not really relevant to what the team is looking for. So we have the, the team help out with the job description. We have the team help identify key competencies because a manager is usually not so much in the weeds where they know every single thing that's going on all the time. So we define the key competencies. We ask the team, what are the personality traits that will complement this team? And, that, and that's where the trimetrics comes in. When we use the trimetrics, um, we can compare and contrast team members and see who will work well with others, um, et cetera. One of the cool things is um, you and I have talked about in, incorporating the coaching reports. And I'm really looking forward to that because it's going to allow us to further refine how we get these teams to work together. And then finally, the, the last thing, which a lot of people do, is group interviews. I'm a firm believer that we get as many people involved in the process as possible. It's up to the manager to make the final decision, but people open up after a certain amount of time and hopefully there's something on there that's like, man, this person is the great fit. That's what we want. But then other times it, there's, there's times where there'll be group consensus and then one or two people will say, well, did you hear about this? And it causes conversation. And so, you know, the, those three things are really the, the items that we, we look for for hiring managers. I love all three. They are so important. And the involve the team is, boy, that's just, it, it does so many things. And one thing that it, it does in addition to helping you pick the right person, it gets them in like, now they care about this person's success when they come on because they've been a part of it, you know, so they may mentor more, they may, you know, coach more. And that translates to a better onboarding experience. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, all, all those are, are very positive for us. Do you have any particular tough questions that you like to ask that you, that come to mind in addition to, you know, talking about gaps or anything? Is there any favorite question that you have? And it's okay if it's not. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I, in my career, I've kind of gone all over the spectrum. So when, when I first yeah. came out of, of college, behavioral interview guides were really important. And so we would go through those. The, the problem with behavioral interview guides is sometimes you can stump somebody on a question that they may be fully qualified for. It's just that yeah. they, they weren't ready to answer that question. And so um, I like to have, a, but at the same time, I also don't think it's enough just to say, oh, what fraternity were you in? I don't think that's yeah. enough either. No. And so I, I like to incorporate, you know, uh, what ifs, like how would you handle this situation in, in, in the context of not only a, a business situation, but from a team perspective. So how would you deal with a, with a, with a difficult teammate? Or if, if something came to your attention, how would you deal with it? Um, I like the, I like the situational behavioral questions better than the yeah. work behavioral questions. The, that's kind of how I steer. Right. Right. I like it. I like it. What do you think people, when you're watching uh, others or monitoring yourself during an interview, what should they be doing less of? What should they stop doing? 
Uh, what yeah, are kind of some well, of the mistakes you see? Well, I I see. I think eye contact for me is the most important thing. Um, if someone doesn't have eye contact throughout this, it, it shows me that they're not being sincere. And if they're not being sincere, then I become unengaged real quick. And so eye contact for me is a, is a big one. Um, being able to speak to your resume. So if you're going to put it on your resume, you sure as heck better be ready to speak to what, what that was. Um, a lot of people will just kind of copy and paste job descriptions into their resume and then not really be able to speak to it. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing is, the other thing is I want to see how a positive outcome came from what you're doing. If, yeah. if you're just, if you just say, well, I processed insurance certificates. Well, did you help increase the efficiency? Um, did, were you able to uh, process at a faster rate than others? What, what, what kind of sets you apart? And I think that's what job, a lot of job seekers don't do in the interview is they don't attempt to set themselves apart. Yeah. And so I'd like for them yeah. to do, do more of that. Yeah. What about interviewers? What are some mistakes that they make other than, you know, not asking the tough questions, not focusing on cultural fit and involving the team? Can you think of any behaviors that interviewers? Totally. Do what are some things that you see? They're like, oh man, you're you're setting yourself up for a mistake here. Uh, What's that? Right. Well, um, I, I would say so. In, in the actual interview, yes, uh, obviously, uh, being sincere and looking people in the eye from the interview perspective is, is just as important. I would tell you that what we have a lot of people do that that is a a big struggle is is that people will focus entirely on the skill set. And yeah. and so they'll just focus on that skill set and they'll say, hey, we've got someone that can come in and, and boom, they're there. And um, that's not always the best recipe for success. I like behaviors that have been shown over time. Uh, one of the things that I'm a huge advocate for at Hub is having a, a real formalized intern program. And the reason I, I am an advocate for it is not the normal reason. A lot of people are, are like, oh, you know, we have them come in, they learn our systems, it's great. That's nice, but if you have an intern or if you have a contingent or temporary worker, not only can you find out if they know the skills, et cetera, but you can also find out, do they come to work on time? How do they work uh -huh. with the team? And, and I think those, those are the factors that ultimately will make someone successful. If you have someone that's always looking for projects and someone that is engaged and, and, and really has bought into your culture, I think you can teach them. I mean, insurance for us is not rocket science. Right. Now, it may be different if you're looking for someone who's highly, highly technical, but uh, we're insurance is a relationship business. And so yeah. we, we like to observe those behaviors if we can. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's I call them the intangibles, and they say intangibles matter. And that's one right. of the biggest mistakes that I see is people, the, the intangibles, not focusing on those, which is the things they're talking about, personal accountability and self-management and team player and interpersonal skills. One thing that I always see too is tell me if you see this is people like they get caught up in the person in front of them, which is great because you do need to get to know the person, but they don't always like, I like this person. Um, not always making the association to this person in the job, you know, so what does the job need, you know, and focus right. there, you know, very closely. Like, well, when I was like coming out of you know, we like them a lot. Right. They like me. It's like, whoa, what a cool person. I would love to work with right. them. Right. Yeah. When I was coming out of college, the emphasis, at the, I went to Texas A&M University for undergrad, and the emphasis was put as much social stuff as you can on your resume so you can get an in and get the job. 
And yeah. um, so what did I do? I put my fraternity, I put all the organizations I was a part of. And while that's important, I hope the job seekers realize that is strictly a door opener. It'll yeah. help open doors. But as far as getting a job, you need to yeah. have. Exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. nice, but it, it's not. It, yeah. And very rarely will someone say, oh, my gosh, you are in beta, theta, pi. You're going to get the job. <laughs> that's not very <laughs> yeah. often. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. So it's that uh yeah, I always it's so fixate what I say is fixate on what the job needs. You know, so right. like, what does the job need while you're looking at this person? And yes, you want to like the person and you know, and they've got to be a cultural fit, uh but do they actually fit what the job needs? Mm-hmm. So like we get caught up in that because of our bias. We have bias bias, you know, we you know, if you went to a particular school and I, I like that school, I'll be like, you've got to be a cool guy, you know. Yeah, of course. Just, of course. Yeah. yeah. So we're kind of touching on what we were going to talk about next is why is it hard to focus on fit, you know, sometimes and the over focus on the technical skills. You know, what gets in the way? What what happens to interviewers that right. they, they get caught up in that? What do you see as the problem? Yeah. yeah so for me. There's just an underlying assumption from our hiring managers that it will be easier to train or onboard someone if they have specific skill sets, and that is not the case. Um, I will tell you that, I mean, it's not always the case. The hardest part of the job for me as a leader or a manager is training someone, getting them to where they're meeting the expectations and exceeding the expectations of the job, and then getting them um, to be a fit with the team so they can operate at their full efficiency. Many times, a lot of our, you know, a lot of managers in general, they'll just say, well, you know, I don't have time to train someone else or I don't have time to really, you know, I don't have time to take this person with less experience because obviously it's going to mean that I have to spend more time with them. And um, I wish that we would look at the end result. I, I look at things like an algebra equation in HR. So X plus oh, Y like equals that. Z. Yeah. And so yeah. you have, and so if X is the applicant, and Z is them being a high performer. What exactly from a Y perspective do we need to do? And I think that many times people think that they can just disregard the Y and and go, oh, right, this person, they have this skill set. They're going to be an awesome performer. And it's not the case. Yeah. You have to invest yeah. time in them. But it's the hardest yeah. part of being a leader is investing that time and taking away from other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the thing is anybody can be trained, you know, so I like them enough and I'll just get them in there. And it's, it's yes, you do need to train them, and but you also need to make sure that, that they're a fit for the job. Because if they're a fit, even, you know, regardless of just the background and experience, if they're a fit, like what they like to do matches what the job rewards, if their style's a match, you know, if they have the competency then the training will go a whole lot easier because people bring who they are to the, to the work, you know? Yeah. And, and also, um, you know, to maybe we need a crystal ball also to look into the future a little bit, but like for me, yeah. if you look at my, my motivators, um, my motivators are in line with someone who is not necessarily detail oriented, but someone who enjoys um, things making sense and working with others. And so Many times, if you were an HR person, for instance, you would say, oh, well, they have to be detail-oriented because they have to write up all these performance management notices and they have to send in compensation stuff, et cetera. And um, while I probably struggled with that a little bit, I would tell you that my skill set is more in line definitely with what I'm doing today. So people can grow into jobs as well. 
just takes a little bit of, you know, managers. What I tell people is managers get paid more to manage. (laughs) And so they need to manage and, um, and lead these employees to a better outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, the, what I like about the assessments is that it helps you see, hey, what is this person really motivated by? And for you, like your top drivers, you are about advancing and seeing the big picture and learning, you know, and getting results. That's your why, according to the assessment, you know, so that right. it drives your behavior. And once you can look at that, then you can say, okay, maybe they don't have all the technical skills, but they're what they are motivated by is going to be rewarded on the job. So they're going to work long and hard to do the work to be successful. So those are the people that are worth putting a lot of time and training in because they're going to come to it quicker. Right. 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 Exactly. Well, the assessments in most cases are used probably wrongly just as a hiring tool. For us, um, we use them as an ongoing tool. So when we have people come onto the team, We'll, we'll actually take a look at the different assessments and it's like, oh God, like right now I'm looking, actually I'm looking at an assessment for one of my employees and um, they have an eight natural style dominant score, which is obviously very low. And then on yeah. the other side, I have another employee who's in HR who has a hundred. And so it's not that the, these, these two people can't work together. It's just that we need to be cognizant of this, yeah. for instance. Um, and, and the motivators as well, you know, when we're assigning projects, et cetera, you know, uh, what, what, what projects may be more on the social scale? What projects will be something that, you know, someone can take individual pride in and really that individual ownership? Those are the kinds of things that we can assess via Trimetrics. Yeah, it helps with the training and fit and that type of thing. What do you say to leaders right. who say, hey, I'm busy. I'm, I'm managing a million things. I don't have time to do all these things. I don't have time to think about, um, you know, things outside of skill set. I don't have time to focus, you know, on cultural fit, involve the team. We, we just have, we have things to do, you know, kind of, do, do you ever hear that? Uh, what do you say to help them change their mindset? Right. Kind of what's your response to some of that when people are. Yeah. So you and I have talked in the past about trust. And um, when I first came into human resources and I would see that some that a manager was not taking the time to properly help with someone's development, I would try and force that down that manager's throat. You need to do this. You need to do that. Mm-hmm. And what I found yeah. is, is that is that the trust wasn't built there and that more importantly, the outcome hadn't been built there. And so in most cases, if you don't, if you don't uh, give time, you know, it's like a newborn baby. If you don't feed it and cuddle it and burp it, then, you know, it's going to get sick. And um, so what I found is, is that with managers, what I I don't like to say, I told you so ever, because that's not really a good (laughs) HR practice. I I think experience, yeah, experience is the best teacher. You know, most leaders, obviously, you know, they need to trust you to take advice. And so, what I do yeah. is I, whenever there's a, a newer manager or a manager that doesn't want to necessarily take the time that I feel would be, be uh, adequate um, and necessary, then I just lay out my ideas and sit back and I monitor the situation. I don't just let it go, but I'll monitor it from a distance. And if it starts to go haywire or let's say we have an issue with turnover, then I'm in a better position next time to say, you know, we tried yeah. this way. Let's try this other way. 
and uh, and that's how we we influence outcomes, you know, within human resources. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, because words don't teach. You know, you say words all day, but if we experience something, and then now it's like, okay, I experienced this, and it didn't kind of work. So then, right, a good opportunity to say, okay, like you said, tried that one. Let's try this. <laughs> right. And then you build right, a relationship, right. and and you see it because you're looking across a broad spectrum, and they are they're maybe just looking in this one, you know, narrow silo, and you're seeing it across. So you you know. Oh. And and the good thing is, is that, um, yes, you have these individuals that may not want to invest the time, but if you, if you build the trust over time, then it can become an organizational thing to where the organization now trusts you. Like, I, I really want individuals to trust me, but more importantly, I want business units and organizations to trust me. And, uh, and once they see kind of that you'll not only do what you say you're going to do, but that there's positive outcomes uh, and results directly tied to the business, then usually they'll they'll uh, start to work with you closer. Yeah, here are the suggestions. Yes. I like what you said to start where you said, we're looking to marry you, not date you. <laughs> and that's a right. good way to think right. about it, you know. And so I was like, okay, you're not going to marry or, you know, the first three people that come in the door, you know. You- it's important you say that because – that's a two-way street. And so, yes, yeah. I'm trying to find out as much as I can about the candidate, but I also want the candidate to know about Hub or whatever company you're with because um, they, they don't want any surprises. And so right. I'm, I'm actually going to present to a, a new acquisition in the next couple of days that we have. And one of their benefits um, is not is better than the Hub benefit. Now, overall, our benefits are much better than this acquisition. But one of them is not. And so I want to be upfront and say, hey, group, this this benefit, I just want to be perfectly clear and out in the open. This is not as good as what you have now. And by right. doing that, it's, it's, it's showing that you'll be real, authentic, transparent. But it's also giving the, the applicant a very clear view because, you know, when you're trying to date someone, you're. You're wearing your perfume all the time. You're working out all the you're time. You're all polished up, spit shiny. Yeah, but, yeah, but when, when yeah. you're when you're married, you know, you wake up in the morning and your hair is all out of out of whack, you know, yeah. and you may be hungry yeah. or cranky. We need to know yeah. what it's like to be married to each other. That's what I'm. My point. Yeah, is. yeah, and it's to the trust point. It's just being honest about it. Though you know, you know, you have a good story to share, but here's peace. Tell me a little bit about that because you all do a lot of acquisitions, and I know that that we have folks who are listening now who are involved in acquisitions, and and I it seems like from the outside looking in, from my viewpoint, you do a good job around acquisitions because a lot of organizations don't. There's a lot of you know you got different cultures trying to meld, and you know it all sounds good in the dating phase, and then when it's actually putting the ring on it, there's all kinds of headache for a lot of organizations I've witnessed, but it doesn't. Right. Feel that way at Hub. I'm sure there's ups and downs because you're a large organization. That we weren't hadn't planned on talking about this, but what are a couple things that Hub does so well that helps that be smoother? And am I right with the outside looking in thinking y'all do a pretty good job with this? Yeah. Well, so what I'd tell you is that we do a continually better job with it. Um, so okay. I've been with Hub That's for seven. Way. Yeah, for seven and a half years. I, am I satisfied with where we're at? No, but way better than seven and a half years ago. So seven and a half years ago when I came in, uh, the first acquisition I worked on had 13 locations and 50 employees. Now try to integrate that with an average of three and a half people in each office. 
you know, so yeah. um, that that was the first acquisition I came in and, and there's lessons learned with each acquisition. And so yeah. is every acquisition perfect? No, but number one, I like to create authenticity um, and I like to show them that we're going to be truthful and we do what we say we're going to do. The other thing yeah. is that that's the first thing and that's not really quantifiable. But the second thing that is more quantifiable is I'm very upfront with the fact that integration doesn't happen overnight. Integration doesn't happen just because you're in our systems now. Integration is true cultural integration takes a minimum of two years. And so what I mean by that is let's say we have, let's say Hub International is acquiring Acme Corporation. Acme Corporation day one is not going to feel comfortable answering their phones, Hub International. So they may answer it on day one as Acme Corporation and then a month into it, Acme Corporation, a division of Hub. And then maybe three or four months later, they'll answer it as Hub International. But even then, they probably won't feel comfortable answering it as Hub International. So it's imperative. Um, We we get our local leaders involved every single step of the way. Um, Uh, And and I, I used a new baby analogy before. If there's any analogy that works for a new baby, it's an acquisition because they they need to be communicated with constantly. They do not yeah. need to be left out of anything. Um, mm. I, I don't believe in, in a in an overnight integration. What I mean by that is, you know, if they have performance reviews in July and Hub does them in March, maybe we let them do the performance reviews another year or two. Um, we want yeah. them to be comfortable, but but overall, we're looking for cultural integration to where they sync up and at the end of the day, if they're out with their friends and someone says, who do you work for? They don't say Acme Corporation anymore. They say, I work for Hub International. We're an 11,000 person right. company with 2.2 billion in revenue. That's the goal. And yeah. um, I think that's where we're getting better at that day uh, with each acquisition. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's good. Yeah, it, it, Continually it's, better. It's, that's a good way to look at things. And that's, that's a complicated process. <laughs> so, with, uh, without a doubt. One, one more thing we do that, that's really cool is, so, so in my role as a regional HR person, I oversee 10 of, of Hub's 26 regions. And um, Hub has been very liberal with our resources in the fact that they have me go out and teach others how to do acquisitions the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, it's, it's not great to say, oh, it's an acquisition, go figure it out on your own. Uh, because yeah. there will be stuff that's missed. And even even people that are on my team that have been through established acquisitions, we still go through the acquisition to be sure. Because, I mean, the, these are these are new employees, but they're not new employees. And it's a, right. it's a delicate situation. Yeah. And there's, there's so much that could go wrong, but there's also so much that could go right, because the right part is why Hub decided to acquire that business to begin with, you know? And so you want to totally. mitigate the, the, all the potholes. Well, and people talk about HR always being a cost center or, you know, diminishing our value in that way. I'm not talking about a hub. I'm talking about in general. No, in the not workplace. at hub. Yeah. And, right. Well, and, and what I, what I'd tell you is, is that this is a way for us to make a bottom line impact. If you don't have turnover and you start having companies that are integrating into your business appropriately, there is a bottom line impact with an acquisition, without a doubt. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it seems to me the way I see the human resource function within Hub, I do see, you know, where other organizations where it's kind of a cost center and they don't really, quote unquote, have a seat at the table. But that does not appear to be 
what happens at Hub. You all are true, you know, business leaders. Is is the yeah, impression and, I get. And I think one of the things that gives us flexibility. So we're led by Amber Canelli, who's our CHRO in in Chicago. Um, she came from Allstate uh, a couple years ago, and so she has that big company feel. But Allstate also has an entrepreneurial feel, which Hub does as well. And yeah. so, so what it means is we can be nimble. And um, yeah. I'll probably talk about my old boss from a long time ago in a little while, but he had a saying, if it's not illegal or immoral, it's possible. And um, <laughs> If and, it's not and, legal or immoral, no, immoral it's illegal. Illegal. If it's yeah, not illegal, illegal or immoral, it's possible. And um, that's kind of the, the view we have here, you know, and so that way we can be more nimble and we can meet the needs of the yeah. business. And that's why we're viewed more as a business partner than maybe other HR departments yeah. in other companies. And it's something I've noticed, too, with different folks, and this is just anecdotal, but there are quite a lot of folks within Hub who have an entrepreneurial motivator, which I believe is your number one motivator, Jack, is uh, individualistic political, which is this, which right. is someone, your boss probably, your former boss was probably like that. If it's not illegal or immoral, it's possible. It's, it's basically saying, you know, we're going to lead, we're going to be nimble, we're going to you know, own own what we're doing. We're we're going to be brave. We're going to think outside the box, and that's that's um, how your culture feels to me. And if you think about our culture, also because we we have so many acquisitions. Now, by the way, we we definitely do a really good job of growing organically as well. But from an acquisition standpoint, not only we view the people as the number one asset when we have an acquisition, and so we have yeah. quite a few people within the human resources department that come from an acquisition and have that entrepreneurial mindset yeah. as well. So it, yeah. it's very conducive to our HR and our company environment. Yeah. It's amazing to have a company with 11,000 employees and to have just a bit, little bit of interaction. I have so many entrepreneurs or, you know, that vibe. That's, but it makes sense when you're inquiring smaller business units, you're bringing their entrepreneurship into the business. So and the majority of our executive management team at the highest level, a majority have have come here via acquisition. So oh, it amazing. goes into our culture as well. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, that just shows the power of continually getting better with your acquisition process. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and it also it, it does it does show we put our money where our mouth is. I mean, we really do look for talent when we go after these acquisitions. Yeah, that's amazing. So let's talk more about you as a leader. Um, okay. And and just so people, we can get to know you and get to hear stories about you and every leader that's listening can kind of relate or learn a little bit through your life. Let's talk, we'll start with the hard question first, your most challenging moment as a leader. Yeah, so I'm going to, instead of a specific instance, I want to talk about an instance that unfortunately continues to live out in some situations. So I pride myself on my team and uh, my team, I, I advocate for my team and I want them all to do better. But the hardest part for me um, or the most challenging is when I'm not able to influence a positive outcome for, for my team. And so um, I've had various situations where, and by the way, there's challenging moments, both from the HR side, from the company side, et cetera. But I would tell you, for me, it's when I'm not able to influence a positive outcome and I have a team member that ends up leaving. Um, uh, I'm a very yeah. open person. I like to 
you know, if someone's not doing something well, I tell them. If something someone's doing something well, I tell them. And um, right. so my, my team has really, really strong tenure. But um, unfortunately, I've had to have a couple people that were not cultural fits or did not meet expectations we've had to leave. And, and that is really challenging for me because I do focus on the personal side many times, and that's how I get to know people. And so I, I know that's probably an answer that most people would give, but I, I was racking my, I'm racking my brain thinking about it. And it, it's just, so it's like when, when somebody doesn't work out, you have to let them go. Is that, that's the chart right. hardest? Yeah. Well, I'm talking about yeah. specifically on my team though. Yeah. So yeah. obviously I, I, unfortunately I facilitate people leaving, yeah. Yeah. you know, consistently throughout the organization, but on my team, especially in human resources, yeah. it, it feels like a, a blow to my ego. So that that's, that's yeah. a really challenging time for me. Feels personal. How do you handle it when it's personal? So I know you know what to do. You know, what do you, right. um, you just muffle <clears throat> through it or any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I think it's only fair to, to give people adequate opportunities to change. And so, um, you know, uh, many times HR is do as I say, not as I do. And so <laughs> whenever there's a problem, HR will kind of get it done real quick instead of following the, the process. So for me, if I have someone on my team that's not meeting expectations or doing something or fulfilling the needs of the business, I, I talk to them. And then if that doesn't work, then I do what I tell everybody else to do. And that is I, I, I write them up. And if that doesn't yeah. work, then I have a final, I have a final, a final kind of write up. But the final write-up is not necessarily a final write-up. It's more of a, hey, this is not working. And if this continues, which it probably will because you haven't changed it already, we're going to be exiting. So let's talk about maybe a way to transition appropriately. And so that way not everybody is you know, left out high, high and dry, not only from a hub perspective, but also from the actual employee perspective. So I've got to be fair with them. Over the years, have you found yourself uh, – now, I know when you're dealing with other people's teams, it's probably easier to have those conversations because it's other mm-hmm. – you know, it's like all of us. We, you know, it's – it's you can do, help other people, but it's like the cobbler's children, you know. Right, when it's right. your family or it's your situation, it's like, oh, it's so personal. Right. How, did, how have you gotten good? Because I, I can hear that you are – and I can just see, just based on what I know about you, you know, being very direct about what's working and what's not working. How have you always had uh, a strength there? Did you have a role model that helped you be strong there in regard to telling the truth, both positives and course corrections? Because that people right. struggle with that. Once you cross that, I'm way better than I used to be, and and actually, I'm, you know, it's like almost easy for me now to say what I see. Right. But it used to not be. What I, what, what's been your journey you know, around that? Yeah, what I've found is it, it, it's all through experience. And for me, the experience yeah. has been to to make it completely about business. You know, so if, if what I tell people it, when they're giving me feedback is, or let's say I, I, I sense someone wants to give me feedback, what I tell them is, as long as you don't insult my wife or my children, you can tell me whatever <laughs> you want, because this is business. This is not personal. Yeah. You know, now if you come in and you and you fire off Jack, you're the ugliest person I've ever seen, then I'm going to take it personally. But if they come yeah. in and, and say something work related, then I, I can do that. And and that's the kind of culture I've instilled, which is uh, at least with my team, which is, um, you know, if someone is not doing something in the correct manner, we have a discussion about it. It's not mean. There's yeah. never yelling. And that's been something I'm, I've learned through experience because um, that's not the way that, you know, I was 
I was raised in the eighties and nineties and, and my, my dad, you know, he ruled with an iron fist and he was always like, yeah. no, you're going to change this right now. And la la la. And, um, yeah. I like to just make it to where, to where there's a separation between the personal and the, and the work. Yeah. And, and when I do that, I do find it makes it easier. I don't mention anything yeah. personal. It's, Hey, so-and-so you did not do this. You have continued to not do this. We make it about the work. And what, yeah. what's interesting is, uh, for the most part, I still keep in touch with people that have left the organization like that. Yeah. Um, that I've actually yeah. ushered out of the organization. So. Yeah. So that shows right there. That's the building of the trust. They know that you care. I think that's a piece of right. it. Right. And then staying factual. Right. Exactly. Know. Yeah. And one one key that I've seen helps is is don't have those. One, stay factual. Make a list if you need to. You know, if your if your emotions are mm-hmm. getting in the way of the facts. <clears throat> you know, to help guide. And then the other thing is don't do it when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt. You know, don't right. have the conversation right. in that moment. You know, put it off a little bit. Right. So that's good. Right. So how about your most rewarding yep. moment as a leader? So my most rewarding is the complete opposite of my most challenging. So my most rewarding is when I see people on my team move through the ranks. And not just move through the ranks from a promotional standpoint, but from a knowledge standpoint. So when I look at my team right now, I can think of three out of the seven HR directors or managers that we have. Each of those three started out as entry-level HR admins. And so when they came in, they knew wow. nothing about HR. They yeah. they didn't know how to how to input stuff in the system. They didn't know how to build relationships. And these are the relationships with with these individuals and talking about that I have really focused and spent a lot of time and energy. And as a result, we have people that ha- are able to meet their goals from a promotional work compensation. Yeah. But then also Hub hasn't had to go out and hire people that may not know the culture. And so our people that are in human resources today, they understand the Hub culture. And that's I mean, I, I can get anybody who's taken a PHR test or what have you and, yeah, and know right. what they think is HR, but knowing HR at our company is way different than knowing HR. And so I take great right. pride in that. And that's so rewarding. And, and that's my biggest accomplishment uh, in my eyes from a leadership standpoint. Yeah, that to me, that's success. You know, so what I what I hear is you know, you're helping other people get to where they want to go. And seeing right. that is that's just that's so rewarding to me. That's that's like. That's significant. That's, uh, you know, forever, ever, ever having made an impact, you know, by just being willing right. to take the time with these folks. That's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. What's one thing people, most people don't know about you? Well, and you may not know this either, Susie, but um, I actually <laughs> tried sales once. I, uh, so coming out of college, my, um, I, I was always like, oh, I wonder what I want to do, you know? And so I came in, I got into college recruiting and got into HR immediately. Well, my father-in-law actually owns a financial services company. And so um, I always saw the nice cars he drove and the, the football tickets he had and the freedom he had. And I was like, man, that's something I want. And so about four years into my career, I made the decision to go work for him in a sales capacity. And what I'll tell you is I really wish that he had Trimetrics at that time. Uh, because if, yeah. he, if he would have done an <laughs> assessment on me, he would have seen that, man, I'm an influencer, Yeah. but man, there's, there's a lot of stuff about the sales process that I am not good at. 
I get discouraged um, when I'm not able to influence an outcome appropriately. And, and many times in sales, you can't influence the outcome. And so, um, unfortunately, uh, you know, I was in that for three months. And so I actually have what I tell people is they're like, well, you know, you're just HR. I'm like, hold on. I have attempted sales. I've made one sale in my life that I cold called. <laughs> And, and I, and I have, I, I've, I've done that and I understand the challenges and we need to get people to where they can be successful at that. So, um, by the way, that was a three month experiment. And within those three months, God made it very clear to me that I wanted to be a human resources leadership professional. And, and what's good is Susie is in order to work for my father-in-law, I had to get my series seven and series 66 licenses. And while um, that's while, you know, th- those are difficult licenses, especially the Series 7, yeah. but it, le- yeah. it led to another door opening because when I had those licenses, my next employer, which was Southwest Securities in Texas, where I met my mentor to this day and, you know, great manager, um, it was a financial services firm. And I got my foot in the door ah. because I had my Series 7. And so things work out for a reason, but at the time, I just thought I was going to be a complete failure in life because I couldn't sell anything. No, that's just not what I'm good at. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, people who have, uh, you know, in sales, the what we tend to see too is the utilitarian economic is number one, not always, not everybody, right. but 82% of all top salespeople. And you're, you have utilitarian there, but it's not your number one or your number two. According to the assessment. Exactly. So, so yeah. there you go. I mean, it's like this, this thing about I can't, I could do it, but you weren't enjoying doing it and it, it didn't, it felt like a haul, but look what it led to, which is perfect too. Exactly. So, exactly. Good for you for trying. Yeah, I didn't know that. So that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so tell them more about your story, about how you got to where you are today, a little bit about your journey as a leader. Yeah, so I'd tell you. So my my dad, he's now retired. He um he was in uh, banking for many years. My mother, she is still working. She's actually the uh, a pharmacy area manager for a, a grocery store chain. And the reason I say that is I am the perfect mixture of my parents. So my dad uh. is my dad is um kind of strict. Uh, he always, he's real black and white, whereas my mom uh-huh. is real touchy feely. She takes her people uh-huh. out to lunch all the time. And what I tell you is I'm a perfect combo of those in good and bad ways. But I would tell yeah. you that I can look at it from the business perspective. I can make the tough decision like my dad, but I also have a yeah. heart like my mother. And yeah. so I think that kind of set me up. So what, what I did, I went to Texas A&M for my undergrad. And then when I got out, I, I knew I wanted to be an HR and so I was able to get a job with Allstate as a college recruiter. And so I went to Allstate. I actually worked as an affirmative action consultant for a couple of years. You know, yeah. when you're when you're in your uh, early part of your career, many times you change jobs like every two years. And yeah. then and then you get to a point where you're like, I, I want stability. So yes. But during those during those first four years where I had those two jobs. I also went to, to school at night and I got my MBA from um, Southern Methodist University or SMU in Dallas. And, and I think that was important because I, I didn't understand the finance part before that. Uh, am I a finance whiz now? No, but it was able to really, really stretch my mind. And uh, I got yeah, a great got learning foundation. That. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. yeah. And so, but anyways, and so, uh, you know, so let me jump to, uh, so 
we'll go back to that father-in-law experience. So that was when I was 26 <laughs> years old. Yeah. And um, it was an itch I always wanted to scratch. So I'm glad I scratched it. And then I went to Southwest Securities and Southwest Securities. I was there for six years in, in an HR manager role. And Southwest Securities has about 1,100 employees, not a large organization, not large, large organization, but right. um, 1,100 employees and a 10-person HR department. And so I was there for six years. And I'll go into a little bit more about Southwest Securities, you know, if, if we talk about, leave, you know, influences and things like that. And yeah, then, we're going to talk um, about that next, so you can talk about it now yeah. if you want. Oh, very. Okay. Well, Southwest Securities was the foundation of who I am today. And the reason it was, Uh is not because of Southwest Securities. It's because of who my boss was. My boss was, Uh his name is Jim Zimkowski. Jim um, was a Pepsi Frito-Lay guy for many years. So he worked in the plants and from an HR perspective. And he had a very, a varied background. And then when he got to Southwest Securities, he ran HR for about 20 years. And I was very lucky because it was a 10-person HR department. And out of the 10 people, there were two males within that department. I was one of them. (laughs) Jim was the other one. Yes, Jim was the other, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a result, there were two offices in which the air conditioner blew extra cold that shared next to each other. Both of the men liked that because most women like to be a little warmer. And so so we had an office next to each, we had offices next to each other. And naturally, we built a relationship and I got an accelerated HR learning curve over the course of six years. So when there were issues, he was able, once, once we built the trust and once I built the trust really because he needed to trust me, we were able to talk about issues throughout the firm, especially in regards to high level executive issues, compensation issues, merger issues. And he would bring me in and he would never, ever tell me what to do. He would always say, what, what do you think is the right thing to do? And we would debate this back and forth until really, until I came to the answer he was wanting me to come to. And he had a saying, which is in human resources, we influence outcomes. So, you know, it, what that means is we don't dictate stuff, but if we see something, we, we try to influence it accordingly t- towards the, the best interest of the organization. And uh, Jim was, was, he's a great friend today. He's retired now in the Dallas area, but um, he is the single most influential person of my career. And and that's where I got my HR bones, if you will, you know. And Mm -hmm. so um, so I was there for about for six years at about five years. I was starting to get a little antsy um, as far as wanting to do more. And so I started looking for another position. And it, it, and one one of the reasons I was antsy is is that the company was it was pretty much not no, it was knowledgeable within the industry that we were going to sell. And by the way, they sold a year and a half or two years after I left, so uh, um, they weren't looking to yeah. expand their HR infrastructure, if you will. And right. so so I I I was able to take my time, find a position that I really wanted, and it was at Hub, and it was in Denver. Uh-huh. So I'd lived in Texas uh-huh. my whole life. I applied to this job and I got it. And when I started, oh. it, it encompassed uh, four regions, like the mountain wow. region, yeah. uh, Colorado, New Mexico, and then like Arizona, Las Vegas. And then luckily, Hub has given me a lot of opportunities. So I went from handling yeah. four regions and uh, 700 employees to now 2,300 employees in 10 regions. Wow. So Hub, is, Hub has been very good to me. Yeah. 
And I love that you said that you actually used the word antsy because I was feeling antsy. I was like, because that is, that is something that if everyone would pay attention when they feel that, that it was your, your inner knowing that there was more that you wanted to do and become and, and, you know, some sense that this organization wasn't going to give you that, even though you'd gotten so much, you know, from Jim and that really they right. gave you, gave you what you needed. And, and I think sometimes people, they, they ignore that voice for fear of not, not wanting to change or not knowing how to change or not, you know, seeming unloyal or something like that. But to me, that there's a message in that usually, and it's worth listening to and, and it's taking you to greater heights basically, yeah. you know, and, to where you're you know, destined uh, to go. Right. And it really helps that, um, you know, many times conversations like this are taboo between a manager and employee. And so um, luckily I had a relationship with Jim where I, I said, hey, you know, I'd like to do more. And he was honest enough with me and transparent enough to say, you know, I don't think there's going to be more, Jack. And um, because of where the company is, et cetera. And so as a result, we were able to have constructive dialogue and I was able to you know, yeah. I was able to look for a position and I will, at the same time, I was able to perform my duties at Southwest Securities and yeah. I, I never left them in a lurch. And so we were able to train people up and we had, you know, he, Jim, Jim just always did stuff the, the right way for the business with an HR tint to it. It wasn't doing right yeah. things for HR with a business tint to it. Yeah. So. He, he was a great influence, probably still is, not only in we influence outcomes, because you talked about that, like, okay, I can't tell, dictate to a leader, but in how he treats his, treated you, it's, it sounds to me like you mirror or do the same with your team. You listen, right. you care, yeah, I mean, honest, you know. I think my team gets tired of me quoting Jim because, you know, the quotes that I have, you know, influencing outcomes, if it's not illegal or immoral, it's possible. Those come from Jim. <laughs> That's all Jim. But, 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 but yeah, of course. But if, if yeah. it didn't work, though, I wouldn't use them. So they're yeah. tried and true. They work across the yeah. organization. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the power. To me, that's success when when somebody can influence others in that way or help people become more of who they want to become. Uh, that's just right. better than that. So talk a little bit about books, training, education, things that have been instrumental to you. Jim obviously right. was as a person, but what about, are there specific favorite books that you recommend to others on leadership or human resources or right. a little bit about that? So, so, so what I'll tell you is um, I'm going to, I'm going to say a shocking statement, not a bad statement, but a shocking statement. And that is, I don't read a lot of books. In fact, I'm reading one right now for the first time in like many years. I'm talking cover to cover. Okay. I do a lot okay. of, of uh of reading of like business journals or articles yeah. things like that but it's hard it's hard to keep my uh, attention for the, for that long and so what i do is uh I, I like leadership articles hub does a really good job of passing around leadership articles amongst the leadership teams and so i do that uh, another way that i've kind of kept in touch and expanded my horizons is i definitely believe in getting certified from an hr perspective mm -hmm. does it make yep. you a better hr person no but does it give you the credentials to to have some authority? Yes. And so, like, yeah. for me, I've been able through Hub to work on quite a few Canadian projects. So I was able to get my GPHR. I have my SDHR. I have my SHRM CP. And so I, I'm fully credentialed on those two. But I, I would just tell you, Susie, the way I learn is through experience. Um, yeah. Usually I learn through bad experience. <laughs> and, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but at least or, you learn. 
way. I learned the hard way. But um, what I'll tell you is is, um, I I really like the experiential learning. And so anytime I have an opportunity to sit in on a budget meeting or something that you wouldn't inherently think is, oh, my gosh, this is HR. I do that because I want to know the business as well as possible. So um, experiential learning is the best way for me. Yeah, I like that. And and, uh, book learning doesn't translate. I mean, it can be interesting, it can be inspiring, but it doesn't always translate into different behaviors, but sitting in and watching someone. So I think that's like, that's a really good recommendation is, you know, anything you want to learn, go, go be a part of it. It's amazing how if you ask to participate, you can. (laughs) Right, exactly. And so, uh, you know, I could write a manual on how to handle a merger and acquisition deal, but um, it's much more effective when we have a new HR person for me to go out with them and th- them to see how I do stuff and how it works in relation to what they're doing. Yeah, 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 that is. It just, I also learn by mistake. So I tend to jump in and then go, oh, yeah, okay, now I know. <laughs> right, right. I like right. that. So when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? So the first person for me personally was a guy named Jerome Lothridge. His name is Jerome Lothridge. Uh, Jerome, I met him. um, I lived in D.C. for a year right out of grad school. And uh, Jerome is he's like he's the perfect person. It's so interesting. Um, Now, when I say successful, I, I, I look at how they interact with family and God first, because I'm a firm believer. No one's tombstone says you know, like Susie, your tombstone's not going to say, you know, purveyor of the trimetrics assessment and hiring. Right. It's going no. to say it was a, a loving mother, wife, sister, things like that. And so I think that's yep. the most important thing, you know. Um, and uh, so yeah. Jerome does all that. But in addition, when I met him, he was actually a White House fellow under President George W. Bush. And so oh, nice. he, yeah. his, back, his background is he was a chief of staff and to the president of Baylor. He got his uh, graduate degree from Harvard. He um, was a White House fellow, and now he's an entrepreneur in the oil and gas industry. And aside from that, the things that make him successful, he's the nicest guy you've ever met. He's the most humble person. He's never brought up Harvard. I knew it because I Googled him. Um, yeah. And he puts his, his family and God first. So from a, uh, that's why I feel he's successful. But I would tell you that um, another person that I really admire is a, is a man named George Brockler. George is actually on the on the ballot right now as attorney general for Colorado. He was oh, the lead prosecutor okay. in the Aurora theater shooting. And Ooh, um, wow. so, yeah, yeah. And and his son is is really good friends with with our sons. And so that's how we know. Aww, George. And, yeah. and so I don't know a lot. You know, politicians, you always assume the worst. But I'll tell you, over the seven years, we've been in contact with George and known him, he's always, I mean, he puts his family first every single time. And I don't know many politicians that would do that. So I I really uh, admire George because of all those aspects. By the way, he's also in the reserves and he's a colonel, like, and he has his law degree. I mean, he's a very successful individual as well, but the family thing takes precedent. So that's the, you can't get get in the game of being successful unless you, uh, unless you're well-liked and have a, a good family and support system. Yeah. Yeah. And for George, what I would say is that's the kind of person we want in politics that, you know, family first and, you know, is does, well, does and, the right and, thing. And, 
and to also show what kind of person he is, um, you know, the, the political ads that are going on right now, all, all they do is highlight his accomplishments. They don't go into how bad his opponent is. And yeah. that I, I'm go. just, oh, I'm, I'm so sick and tired of that stuff. You know, let's just, let's just yeah. do it based on credentials, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. That's good. Well, I hope he wins based on all that you I do too. <laughs> <laughs> so here's some fun questions to get to know cool. you in a different way. And we'll, we'll walk in towards the last couple of questions here, but what's your favorite guilty pleasure TV show? And maybe there's so no guilt involved. There, there's a little guilt because some people look at me a little weird when I say it, but House of Cards <laughs> on Netflix. Um, have you ever seen House of Cards? House of, yes. Yes, I have. I hate that yeah. they stopped it. I don't know if they're going to well, kick it back the, off the, again. They are. They are. Um, Kevin Spacey's okay. out, but now Robin Wright Penn will be the, the president. But um, I, I really enjoy that show. And, and honestly, it's helped me out from a work perspective, too. You know, not, not because I'm trying to be all political or anything like that. But I see how things get done and the enormity of what you've got to do to get things done. You can't just, in many cases, you can't just walk up to someone and say, hey, let's do this and um, get any buy-in and, and have that trust built. And so it, it is interesting. In Washington, you've got to have quite a few alliances. You've got to have trust with people. And you've got to have the wherewithal to get it done. And so it's yeah. just these. And, and also, you know, it, from a guilty pleasure, it's also a little salacious, too. So. I do. I oh, love it's crazy. The story. When I first started watching it, I think I watched it till like I couldn't stop. I mean, it was like, right. uh, and I got my parents Netflix. They don't have any technical knowledge at all. They can hardly turn the TV on. Right. Got them, got them Netflix. And, um, she called me. It was a Christmas and I set it up and I was driving back home you know, they're in South Carolina. And, uh, she called me that morning. She said, oh, we started using Netflix. We were able to get it turned on. And then that night she called me. She said, we watched the whole season of House of Cards. We binge oh watched. God. I didn't know what that was. So <laughs> in a whole day, they watched the whole season. Because <laughs> it's yeah. kind of that kind of way. I mean, you start watching and you're like, holy moly, I can't believe he just did that. Or right, that just happened. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I, oh. I think it has business applications, but it also has the the fun applications too. So it's just that's my so interesting show. and crazy. Yeah. Um, right. What actor would play you in a movie? I'm curious to what you think there. Okay. Who, who do you think that would be? So obviously it needs to be a very good looking actor. No, obviously. Um, no, yes. Uh, obviously. Yeah. No, um, actually the, <laughs> the actor I chose, yes, he is very good looking, but not because he mirrors my looks. It's because he was in a movie that mirrors kind of what I've done sometimes. And it's George Clooney. And the reason oh, I say that yeah. is, uh, have you ever seen Have you ever seen Up in the Air? Oh no, I don't think I've seen that. Okay, well, it's it's a movie. He's not in Human Resources, but he's actually someone who professionally goes in and he will exit people from the workforce. He's a consultant, uh, and okay. a lot of his interactions, he he ends up coming around to being more of a people person at the end. And so I thought he did a good job of portraying of portraying that, especially towards the end once he kind of got more into the people side of things. So uh, that that's the only reason I'd say George Clooney, if you're probably looking from a looks perspective, it'd probably be, you know, someone not as handsome, but um, I, I'll, I'll go with George Clooney for that. I like it. I like it. And I do kind of yeah. remember that, that uh, trailer up in the air. So I have to check that out. So he gets more oh, really good warm movie. and people oriented. Right, right. He he's just uh, you know he's always in his first class seat at the beginning, and he it's real business. People are numbers, but 
over the yeah. course of the, the movie, he sees them as people and um, it changes his outlook and his approach to things. Ah, oh, that totally sounds like you. So yeah. Okay. I vote for that. I can see that. George Clooney. It's cool. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. What advice would you give your 25 year old self? This is probably, this is probably the easiest question you've asked um, because <laughs> I, I, I was so impatient when I was 25 and I didn't take obvious signs. So, you know, that, that I told you I worked for my father-in-law. There were so many red flags that I should have noticed, but instead, no, I just wanted to be the successful person who had money, et cetera. And so I would tell you, you know, I'd tell myself, Jack, be patient, let things play out more. Um, uh-huh. You don't have to let them play out forever, but let them play out. So, you know, that goes for work. It goes for relationships. It mm-hmm. goes for assumptions in life, everything. Um, I think that I'm, while I'm still pretty high strung, I'm not near as high strung <laughs> as I was back then, and I'm not near as impulsive as I was back then. Yeah. So that's um, neat. Yeah. That that just comes with age and maturity. But yeah. 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 Cool. If you could put one billboard anywhere, what would it be? What would it say? And maybe you may even might want to put uh, a location. What would your billboard? Yeah. Be? Um. You know. Uh, so in Colorado, we actually don't have a lot of billboards, but in Texas, oh, we don't, they were don't do you? Yeah. Yeah, but in Texas, they were everywhere. And so I think I mentioned this early, but earlier. But here, here's a, a quote I heard from our pastor at our church, and it's, "As goes the leader, so goes the follower." And mm. the implications with that are that a, as a leader, I'll be your advocate. I've got your back. Um, that you're not self-absorbed as a leader that you put the team first. And so I'd say in our society, there's an inherent lack of leadership. Everyone, especially leaders, need a constant reminder of why they're leaders. Not not for mm-hmm. the power, not for the money, but for the, the greater good of everybody. And um, I think that on, you know, uh, on 635 in Dallas, where there's a lot of billboards, if you had that up right at an intersection that had a church on one side and then a business tower on the other side and then maybe a courthouse on the other side. Hopefully it would help remind people of why they're, they're doing stuff because yeah. what, whatever the leader does, the, the follower will do. And I tell my kids all the time, um, if they see a kid that's acting bad, they're like, oh, that person, that kid is just so bad. And I'm like, hold on, you know, don't, don't, don't blame the kid, blame the parent. <laughs> and so um, when you see a follower that's usually not doing well, usually you need to focus on that leader. So we need to focus on yeah. being better leaders. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so you do see that sometimes leaders will say, well, they're not doing and maybe they're not. But have you also around what they're not doing looked at what you're doing? hundred percent you know, with, with your voice. And I just, we just got a new puppy and I've been, I was reading a, 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 a trainer's manual cause he's, he's a handful. And she was like, you know, when he's making mistakes, it's not his fault like, right. in the mirror. Right. And I'm like, Ooh, good stinger, man. You're right. You know, mm-hmm. you are the leader of the well, puppy or, you know, and, and, ba- and back to that advice for the 25 year old self. I'd also tell myself that there are very, very few instances in this world outside of abuse in which someone is a hundred percent right or a hundred percent wrong. And so what, what I mean by that is you need to always take a look and see what your part in something is. 
And so, um, you know, is it my approach? Even if it costs, even if it was only 2%, I still added to that situation. So that's another piece of advice is that, uh, that unless there's abuse involved, then I probably had a, had something to do with it. So, yeah. something to do. And, you know, that's one of the skills in trimetrics. One of the competencies is personal accountability that gets measured in the acumen part of the assessment. And we have oh, wow. found okay. in research, personal accountability means I take accountability for you know, the problem. And I, I say, okay, I had a part in this. I don't just blame everybody else. And so, and it usually has to do with people who have a strong sense of self and strong role awareness when you think about the one of the graphs in there. But mm-hmm. in our research, we found in all roles, whether you're a receptionist or the CEO, high personal accountability comes out in all the benchmarks and in all success, you know, for roles is this this skill or this competency personal accountability. So it's something right. to always look at and to always ask about in interviews too. So I love that you that that quote that's now my new favorite quote as as goes the leader so goes the follower. Right. Awesome. Yeah. I, I I you know I don't do the best job of paying attention in church. But when when the pastor said that, my ears perked up. <laughs> You're like, "Ooh, yeah. yeah, that speaks to me. I get that." Right. So right. you shared so much in regard to good advice and examples and ideas from everything from being a leader to uh, hiring for fit. Is there one last bit of advice or wisdom you'd like every leader to take away from what we've talked about today about hiring, about being a leader, being a human resource executive? What what kind of what's on your mind to share? Yeah, I I would just say it goes into really, it's all encompassing and kind of what we've talked about several times is, you know, we're looking to marry someone, not date someone. And so it's imperative that we do our due diligence during the hiring process. And doing due diligence doesn't mean just looking at a resume and seeing what school they went to. It it is a skill assessment, but I'm such a proponent of the personality aspect as well. And and that's really where where we get a lot of value from the trimetrics assessment. And then also to involve as many people as possible. Um, Don't make decisions in silos. Um, but but also take ownership for your decisions. So um, be willing to make the decision, but involve others. But that that's really the the main point I could say is you know once again we are not we are looking to marry you, not date you, and that that's that's our hiring philosophy. Yeah, and if you keep that top of mind the whole time, you'll give the time that it takes you know, slow to hire. Slow to hire, fast to fire. Uh, you know, take t- not right. slow because we don't really have time to be slow, but that whole thing about, exactly. about whether I want to marry this person, you know. Right. Is this someone I want to be in a long-term relationship with? Yes. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, you have been awesome. Can folks connect with you on LinkedIn if they'd like? Uh, of course, they can. Uh, or send you Jack Patterson. connections. I'm the yeah. yeah, I'm the ugly guy with the beard who works for Hub International. So you can see Oh my no on ugly there. We'll have your picture and, on the <laughs> show notes page. Oh too. well thank you. Yeah. And then um obviously uh anybody can, you know, email me at jack.patterson at hubinternational.com. Um I'm here to okay. help in any way and if you have any questions or need advice or what have you, give me a holler. Awesome. You've been so generous with your time. I know you're traveling all over the country on a regular basis, and especially this week. So thank you so much for sharing of yourself and for being a priceless client, and um, be safe this week. Awesome. Well, well, Susie, thanks for having me on, and uh, and thanks for you know providing 
and so much support for our hiring process at Hub. I appreciate it. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Some of my favorite things are so many good things that he shared, but one of them is his quote that he always remembers from his mentor. If it's not illegal or immoral, it's possible. That's a great, great quote and fun to share and think about. And it also is just insight on the power of being a mentor, being mentored and being a mentor. So if you're, you are mentoring others, just realize the impact that you're having on that person's life. And as Jack carries forward, the things that his mentor shared with him. And I love what he said about it. We influence outcomes. That's what we do in human resources. And I feel like that's my role as a consultant and facilitator is try to influence outcomes. I don't get to have the hands-on around that, but I get to facilitate that. And that is a powerful way to work and it can be challenging too. So you have to get really good at influencing and listening and understanding. And I, I believe every leader, you can't you can't make the outcomes happen, but you can influence those outcomes with the people on your team when you have the right people in the right seats. Around hiring, his statement about we're looking to marry, not date who we're hiring. So do your due diligence. That is the biggest mistake that people make is they hurry through it. And so many of the things that he talked about that are important to hiring, looking for the fit as opposed to do they just have the technical skills and doing the due diligence and getting the team involved. Those are things that we really believe in here at Wake Up Eager. And so when you go to our show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash evaluate job fit, evaluate job fit is all one word. You will see some resources to complement some things that Jack talked about. I have a link. We have seven different podcasts around hiring that you can listen to and see if any of those interest you. You know, Jack and I referenced the tool that they use at Hub International is Trimetrics. I have two episodes around that, how to debrief a report, understanding trimetrics, talk about five reasons why employees fail, talk about getting your interview team ready. There's a five-step process that I recommend when you're going to have a group interview to make sure it's an effective group interview or you have many people involved in the process. And that's something we also teach in our book, How to Hire Superior Performers. So all of that will be in the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash evaluate job fit. We've got a link to Jack Patterson's LinkedIn profile. If you'd like to connect with him there, that will be on the show notes, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash evaluate job fit. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and for the nice notes and comments. And thank you to everybody who helps with this podcast and has interviewed here. Uh, here's to 50 episodes and look forward to the next episode coming to you soon where we're going to talk about recalibrate daily, which is about a focus on the fifth wake up eager leader habit. And that is about daily checking in and making sure you're doing the things around mind, body, and spirit so that you are energized and committed because it's hard to create an energized and committed drama-free workforce if you're not owning that for yourself. So I'm looking forward to sharing that episode with you. And if I can help you in any way, or if you have questions about hiring or evaluating job fit or any of the Wake Up Eager Workforce episodes or habits, give me a shout and we can have a talk. Pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E. We'll see you on the next go round. Take care. Bye-bye. 
This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 